0: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. I'm your host. It is the middle of August. It's August 15th, 2021, and we are on the backside of the Unadilla National. That was yesterday on Saturday. And also this morning, got to watch a little MotoGP action, uh, the second consecutive round uh, at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. So we'll talk a little bit about both of those, but before we get into those, let's thank the sponsors of this podcast. Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Blends all Oils, Fast Foundry, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, Grant Stone Boots, 612 Suspension, Pro Glow Wash, and Fly Racing. I will offer up a few promo codes on those uh, later on. Do want to thank all of those people for making this podcast possible. As for Unadilla, this was a track in my racing days I didn't, I didn't love. I'll be transparent about that it was one that I you know of course you have to deal with whatever's thrown at you and you have to race all the races on the calendar but it just was one that I kind of dreaded and you know I think it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy I didn't ride this track all that well I did have a few good results here at times but I think on the whole it was just one that I didn't feel great on uh, I my riding style was a little bit aggressive on the throttle and on the brakes I don't think I ever really completely mastered the the idea of carrying momentum and just kind of letting the bike roll and do what it wants to naturally do. I was just always too heavy on input. And when I say input, I mean too much gas, too much brake, and then just instead of just letting the bike kind of free roll through the corners, which you see guys do well, that they do that. If if you do well at this track and overall, outdoors kind of works too, but this track especially like Ken Roxon is one that jumps to mind. He is so incredibly good at that specific thing. You know, if you watch his Instagram, you watch him on tape on the races, you see him standing up on the pegs through corners, and he's not really doing anything other than allowing the bike to carry itself around. Now that takes incredible balance more than I could possibly, you know, put into words. And, and that's where the difficulty comes in is that elite level balance and skill and knowing where the, the tipping point is and how to let the bike just kind of flow without the natural reaction to grab the brakes. And that might be the toughest part is everything about the corner is telling you to grab the front brake because you're going too fast and the bike's tipping over and there's this rut and it's, it's really counterintuitive to just to let the bike go. So as you see the results, you look at who did well. To me, that kind of tells the tale you look at a guy like Jet Lawrence, who is is so naturally gifted on the motorcycle. You look at Ken Roxon who fits that bill too. And those guys really start to show up at the, the top of the screen because that's what they do well. And I don't know if this is recency bias, but I kind of feel like that's why a guy like Eli Tomac wasn't quite as good yesterday is because he is... A much more aggressive racer he wants heavy braking heavy throttle application and he really wants to overpower the racetrack and you just couldn't do that yesterday you had to take what the track was giving you even though it was ruddy it's still unadilla and it still has a hard base and the ruts all the way down straightaways don't they don't like you to override the track and they they simply won't allow it Uh, and we'll get into a little bit of those guys later but starting with the 250 class as I mentioned, Jet Lawrence, this is kind of a perfect racetrack for him. It just suits what he does well. Uh, He is one of those guys in that Ken Roxon esque fashion where he just flows around the racetrack and he makes things look completely effortless. When you see everybody else laboring, he's not. He just seems to find ways to go fast where a rider like myself or someone who has technique deficiencies like I do, we would really be struggling because The track just puts you under duress. It doesn't want to flow. You know, all those ruts and sticky dirt coupled with really hard pack and a hard base, that's a really difficult combination to make work. Uh, So, you see Jet Lawrence really shine yesterday. We saw Justin Cooper have a great first moto, and then I'm not really sure what happened in the second moto. His comments alluded to uh, some, some bike settings, and they needed to go a different direction with the motorcycle you can take that at face value. I I don't really know. And and we will really never know the truth to that, or if he maybe just had a bad moto. And a lot of times guys will deflect to the motorcycle and just say something was off without being too specific because things just didn't go well. And they don't really want to give anybody an edge. You know, they want to be able to bounce back at Bud's Creek next week and say, yeah, yeah, I was totally fine. Just the bike was off, right? It's, It's just so much easier to go down that path. Than it is to say, yeah, just Jet was better than me. You know, these guys are always vying for confidence and that mental edge. And, and there's a lot of stuff that, in my opinion, probably doesn't matter in there, but that's just the nature. It's the nature of racing. It's always been that way, probably always will be. Guys are always going to be very protective of any sort of perceived mental gap or mental edge they may have. Uh, so look for Justin Cooper to bounce back. I think next week, I I don't think we should read too much into anything in that second moto this track is so unique. I don't personally believe that it is the norm. I just think this track asks specific things that most tracks don't. So I think we'll get back to pretty much what we've seen the rest of the year where Justin Cooper's right in the mix. Maybe jet wins, maybe Justin Cooper wins, maybe J Mart wins, but I do not expect to see, you know, uh, Jet Lawrence be able to run away from Justin Cooper by 40 plus seconds. I just think that was a a severe outlier as far as how this season will go. As for Jeremy Martin, not bad, solid day. Uh, I'm sure he was hoping to beat Jet there, but I think when you look at his year overall, Supercross was non-existent. He crashes on the first lap of the first race, and then Outdoors has been really rough and tumble too. He has that Uh, you know, he's injured coming in and then he gets injured again at Thunder Valley. Then he gets injured again, practicing, breaking a few fingers. So it's just been one hit after another for him. So I think for him to get a a decent day out of it, get second overall, I think he's totally good with that. Why, Why would you be bummed at all? The wins are going to be there. You know, he had just come off back to back wins at Spring Creek and at Washugal. Back set up with a a second place finish. Uh, So he's gone 1 1 2 over the last three. That's pretty strong. And I think, you know, there are brighter days to come. I think he will continue to improve. Would not shock me at all to see him win, I don't know, let's say two out of the last four. I I think that's uh, a reasonable expectation just from what we've seen, especially as you get into. The end of the series where guys are worried about the championship, they're not going to ride as loosely and as aggressively. That's just, you know, the natural reaction for most people. And that that really frees up Jeremy Martin to ride and take advantage of that because he's not in this championship picture, really. You know, he's 50 or 60 points out. That kind of negates any solid chance you have. So look for him to just try to rack up wins, get as many as you can. His contract's secure for next year. No worries there. But I think it's great to have him back in there, and he adds some depth to this series. R.J. Hampshire, decent day. He is doing what I think he needs to do, though. Of course you want to win. We all know that. R.J. wants to win. That's why he tries so hard. But the bad days for R.J. had been killing him. And they hadn't all been his fault. You know, he has that chain derail at Mount Morris, which killed him. That was a brutal, brutal day because he should have won that overall, in my opinion moto went terribly, but I believe he was the fastest guy at high point that day. But these bad days have really set him out of the series and some of them have been his fault. You know, you look at Southwick, he just crashes over and over and that's been the real bugaboo for lack of a better term to his championship. But that's both indoors and out. So if he can find ways to get, you know, a fourth place on your bad day, these series will start to turn around you know, he will be in the mix coming into the last few rounds. He won't be 40 points out of the championship wondering what went wrong and where it went wrong. He'll be in there. And when it's your day to win, by all means, go get the win. But when it's not your day and things are not going to plan, make sure that you get fourth, fifth, sixth, and you don't give up 25, 35, 40 points on that day. You just can't do that if you expect to be around at the end. So that seems pretty basic as a concept. And I don't think I'm you know, writing any sort of strategy book, but if you look at RJ's history, maybe I am because that has been the the missing ingredient. You know, there there is such a strong uh, thesis for championships are won on your bad days. You know, Ricky Carmichael used to say that all the time, and I'm I'm a firm believer of that. You know, I don't have a lot of championship experience, that goes without saying, but I do believe, and I and I've studied this and watched it, and you know, if if I'm an expert on anything in my life, it's this. That's how these things get won. Unless you're just going to go on some insane winning streak and just win everything in sight, there are going to be days when things don't go your way. Bike breaks, you can't control that. But you can control bad starts, tipping over, unforced errors, all those things. And if you find ways to overcome the, the, the adversity that the, those bring, that's going to happen. Guys are going to crash. You're going to fall over. You're going to get a bad start. Those are really unavoidable. Those are just parts of racing. But if you can find ways to get back into the mix, a la Dylan Ferrandis this summer, the motos where he's had things go wrong, guess what? He bounces right back. He finds his way back into the top five sometimes, certainly back into the top 10. And you see what happens when you pile those up. You just rack up podium finishes. You find yourself 40 points ahead with a few rounds to go. That, that's the recipe for success. So I like the way that's trending for RJ. I like to see him not crashing if he's not going to win, you have to be willing to settle sometimes. And it seems like he's, he's sorting that out a little bit. So 450 class, of course we do our power rankings for the 450s. And again, I want everybody to understand that these are just jumping off points. Nobody really cares if your guy, your favorite riders in fifth or in sixth or in ninth or whatever. It's irrelevant. Uh, I do try to track it based off of overall season and momentum and all those things that, you know, that I see. Of course, I I try to do it correctly, but I just don't want people getting bent out of shape, especially riders that, you know, because that's what happens. You know, somebody in their circle listens to this, then they get back to him and say, hey, dude, you're not, you didn't even make the list or you are, you know, you're moving backwards every single weekend. And then that rider gets pissed at me. Like, just everybody relax. It's just for Entertainment. We're just trying to talk about racing. It's it's bench racing, nothing more, nothing less. If you're a rider and you're getting pissed off about my stupid opinion, then don't go go for a run or ride harder, or do something because I can promise you this does not matter at all. Having said all that, with all those qualifiers to keep me out of trouble, at number ten, Joey Savacchi, and man, what a missed opportunity. For him, it could have been a really great day. He gets that sixth place in the first moto, It tips over. I think he gets fifth there in the first moto, probably beats Webb. And he really needs these rides. He needs to rack up top tens because you look at the people that had tough days and or were out, you know, Barsha's and those guys, and then you see Jason Anderson's coming back. That was a great day. That was a great opportunity that has now, Kind of left by the wayside, you know that that second moto crash really did him in. He gets a twentieth in the second moto because his bike was uh, pretty mangled, apparently after you know after the crash. But you just don't get those back, and uh, yeah, a little bit of a bummer. Of course, he wears Fly Racing, so I was was pulling for him. But on a a larger level, uh, I, I know from behind the scenes that he's been putting a ton of work in during the week and. You want to see that kind of effort get rewarded. And the first moto was good. Don't get me wrong. A sixth in the first moto is, is a definite step on the right direction. But when you're looking at the overall results, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get that reward. So a little bit of a bummer there, but he stays inside the top 10 in these meaningless power rankings. Number nine, Christian Craig. Uh, I believe last week or the week before was his first week in here. Uh, but he has certainly been deserving. And in my notes, I wrote he is a legitimate top 10, 450 guy, period, end of story. And I think he's earned that description. Uh, he's been there every single week. And really last year too, he really started to break out on the 450. And this bodes well for him because just like everybody else, of course, his long-term goal is to be a 450 factory level guy for the longer time frame. I don't think he wants to be a 250 Supercross guy. But that is the ride he's been offered, and that's just the the state of the sport right now. There are no there are more great riders than there are great rides, so I think you are going to see Christian move into that spot. He is certainly proving himself time and time again, and that will take effect. Uh, you know, I don't know if that ends up being a star four hundred and fifty ride, or you know, does it look something like Rocky Mountain KTM? Who knows? But his talent is undeniable. We've all we've all seen that. You watch him ride one lap of 250 Supercross, and, you, and it will it'll change your life, to be honest. But I think for him to get up there consistently in the 450 class and run around, you know, that four to seven eight range over and over and over, he, he's proving his fitness, he's proving his poise, he's proving his ability to ride the 450 on that level. Yeah, someone's going to take note of that and and sign him up to a long term 450 deal. I don't know what the payo look like or anything like that. I don't, you know, he's certainly not going to be on the pay scale of the the Roxans and the Webs and those guys. But that's really not where he's at either. He shouldn't be. But I do believe, with full honesty and transparency, that he deserves a, a shot at a full on four hundred and fifty Supercross and Motocross deal. I just think he that's that's what it is. Um, those those rides are always earned. They're never given away. And uh, I think that's exactly what he's done with his performances. Moving up to the number, excuse me, number eight spot, Marvin Muscan. And I almost moved him higher because he he's getting better. You look at his 4-4 four, four scores coming off of a really strong Washugal performance. And I almost moved him to seven, but I'm just going to need to see a little bit more because he's been horrific at times this year. And I, I try to weigh those in these power rankings too. You know, I don't want to get so... Uh, victim of the moment here and not remember any of the god-awful rides he had in supercross at the beginning of the year and then uh, of course thunder valley and oh man there were some really bad races in there southwick was pretty rough as well Uh, but certainly better lately you know I, i think he's been working hard to get better which shows just his pride and that he's not just mailing it in even though he's had a really tough year so i have him at eight and I think this is just him being back to the Marvin Muscan that we have come to expect. So he adds depth, he adds excitement to the series, and four four is probably about where we would think. You know, he could be a little bit higher than that on a good day, and a bad day, a little bit worse, but he that's probably about where he fits in right now as, you know, a fourth to fifth place guy. At number seven is Aaron Plessinger, and holy hell, what a crash he had in that first moto. And much to my dismay. He was on my fantasy team and looking great. I still, 24 hours later, have no idea what the hell he did. I just don't get that crash. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. You know, like uh, Ryan Poto in 2015 at Trentino, maybe kind of, sort of like that, but I don't know. It looked like his throttle stuck wide open when he landed, which I don't know why that would happen either. With fuel injection, and the, you know that doesn't really happen these days. I don't know, man. I I'm just going to kind of leave it up to you guys to to figure it out until we get more information. I would assume we'll get some answers this week. You know, people will reach out to AP and ask and see what he remembers, and they can check the data on the bike. We'll see if they actually tell us anything. But you know, normally I like to have some sort of theory as to what happened, just because I've seen. Many of these scenarios occur before, you know, racing is a very repetitive thing. And you see the same type crashes and the same type incident incidents occur over and over. So you can draw an experience a little bit, but I don't know what the hell to do with that one. Unless the throttle stuck If the throttle stuck. Then maybe I'm onto something that would be my only possible guess. I just don't know, understand why a throttle would stick there. Justin Barsha is up to number six. And it's a bummer he missed the race. I think he'll be back sooner rather than later. Maybe Ironman, maybe races the last two, but I don't think he'll call it a series because I think he will want to uh, remain on that Motocross of Nations list. Um, I believe he has already been asked and already accepted to do that. And I don't think he will want to lose that designation, which would push me to believe that he'll come back and race at least the last two. Maybe he shows up uh, for Ironman as well. I heard that his crash and uh, concussion was pretty ugly, which is a bummer. You hate to see guys suffer any sort of brain trauma, brain injury. You know, which a concussion is a brain injury. Uh, but just wishing the best for Justin Barsha that he can get back and uh, yeah, show up and race. Um, you know, these guys are all competitors, and whether it's your favorite rider or not, it doesn't matter. You don't want to see guys get hurt, especially something as serious as concussions can be. And, and we know so much more about the long-term effects of concussions, just kind of wishing him all the best right now. At number five, I have Cooper Webb, and, you know, Webb's just been kind of blah all summer, and I think he would probably agree with that. You know, he came off just such an impressive Supercross series. You know, his stamp he put on the field at Salt Lake was just something I won't forget for a very long time. I kind of sat there with my jaw dropped because he had all the pressure in the world. And he went out there and just showed everybody what time it was. Just laid the freaking smack down on all of those guys when he had every reason in the world to just chill. And that shows you what type of competitor that Cooper Webb is mentally. He wanted to dominate those guys and leave no doubt in their mind who the man was. That's just who he is. And you can see that it it, oozes out in his interviews. And that's just his personality. So it has to be driving him insane here to be running around, you know, in the fifth place spot or worse. That's really what it's been all season is fifth or worse. And I don't think he's having any fun doing that. You know, I I know he's working hard I talk to people that are around him and he's putting in the effort. I just don't think, you know, whether it's the motorcycle isn't, as ideal for outdoors, it is for supercross, or if it's his lack of preparation at the beginning of the series, it's probably a combination of both. If I had to guess, I think the bike is just more suited for, uh, for supercross than motocross. And when I say that, I think there are going to be some people out there that go, but, but, but look at MXGP, but everybody has to keep in mind that MXGP, they can do whatever they want to the bike. They can run different frames week to week. If it's a sand track, They can run a longer frame. They can do anything they want to manipulate that motorcycle to make it work better conditionally and situationally. For for, uh, Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, they can't make any frame changes at all. So they are stuck with whatever production the production frame is. And if that production frame is more suited to tight confines, quick turning, agility, that's great for Supercross. But for Motocross, we don't really know what what they might be dealing with, you know, maybe it's not quite as stable. Maybe it doesn't handle really fast, rough sections quite as well. You know, it's more, when I say it's more suited towards Supercross, that's what I mean. And I don't know, I'm completely speculating, but I'm just trying to find any sort of reason as to why guys, especially, you know, Cooper and then Marvin at the end of the series too, they were so dominant at Supercross and then they really haven't been able to find that same level outdoors really at all. It's really been a struggle from the get-go. They've had flashes of brilliance here and there, but on the by and large scale, it's been nothing, nothing like Supercross went for either one of them. And and Marvin, I I have to qualify that a little bit. Marvin had flashes of brilliance as early, and then he was really strong late, but I mean, there's no denying it with, uh, with Cooper Webb. Chase Sexton, he's finally here. We've been waiting all year. You know, Washugo was the breakout. And then if it wasn't for a huge crash right off the start of the second moto at Unadilla, we may have seen him get the overall. I don't personally think he was going to beat Ken Roxon in that first moto. But you see how strong he was in the second moto. And he kept Roxon in sight the entire time. Who knows? I don't want to completely discount it because he was great. I mean, Chase Sexton was riding incredibly well. And that's two races in a row where he's really kind of found his stride here. So I don't think we're going to get away from that. I think you're just going to see more of Chase Sexton at the front. We've been waiting all damn season for it. And some of us looks looked stupid like myself, because I thought he would be in this championship hunt. I really did. And he was kind of making me look smart at the first round with just an incredible ride. And then he just disappeared. I don't know where he went. He just lost form, lost confidence, wasn't able to go to the front, was crashing doing all the wrong things. But here we are, uh, August with a few rounds to go. And he he seems to be back. We're going into some tracks that he rides really well. Buds, I don't know. I I won't claim that one, but Ironman is is a home race for him. He should do well. We saw how potent he is at Paula at the first round this year. So look for him to be great there. And then Hangtown, I don't really have an opinion either, but two out of the next four should be really, really strong strong rounds for Sexton, so look for him to uh, to have a great finish here. And then I have also heard that he will be on the Motocross and Nations team too. Unconfirmed, I don't have any official information, but rumor has it that he will join Justin Barsha as the 450 competitor for the Motocross and Nations team, and then I think that they will see RJ Hampshire as the 250 rider. So pretty strong team there in Sexton. Uh, I just wanted to mention that as we were covering him. Number three, Eli Tomac, and I don't know what to make of his day, his Instagram post kind of furthers what I thought. It was just kind of blah. He just didn't seem to have the pace, didn't seem to be able to find any intensity, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast is I just think that the way this track was where you weren't allowed to override it or it punished you with a crash or you're just slow. And, and to say Eli Tomac was slow, whatever, I think he went 3-7 on the day. I know that's not slow, but you're talking about talking about Eli Tomac here. So 3-7 is not a great day for him. And to watch the guys in front of him just ride away from him, I think is is really where you get kind of the blah feeling. That doesn't happen to him very often. And we've seen it happen more often than we're ever used to in the last year and a half. So maybe he's kind of losing a little bit of that edge that he's had for the last few years. I think that's a fair statement to make, but it was pretty evident yesterday. He just wasn't feeling it. And my notes just kind of say, just like a eh, just was that kind of day. Not horrible, but not good. Not anything that he would be proud of, I don't believe. Number two, Ken Roxon. That was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous day. You know, the first moto just, just crushes everybody. Second moto, Chase Sexton, absolutely kept him honest. Incredible ride from Sexton, as we talked about But I think Kenny just proved that when the track is the most technical and the most difficult and and asks the most of you, and I don't mean weather conditions when I say that. I don't think that really works for Kenny. I mean, when the track asks the most of you, It tests every skill that you have, high traction, low traction. You need to, you know, let the bike be work in its most natural form. You can't override it. You can't be too aggressive. Those are all the things that Kenny shines and he just is so incredibly talented that he can go fast when most people can't. He, he just has this innate ability that is, in my opinion, God given. He's always been able to do it. It's not anything that he just like, he practices this more than everybody else. No, it's, it's not that it's, it's talent, pure and simple. And it's talent. And you know the weather was good for him. It wasn't crazy hot. You know, it wasn't anything that would ask too much on a physical fitness side even though Kenny's fit. We just know that his he's, he's, body is challenged. He's he's been through a lot, surgeries and all kinds of things, immune systems suppressed and lots of things he has to face that other people don't. But on a day like that, I think it was just the perfect scenario for Kenny incredibly difficult, ruddy track, and then really nice conditions that allow him to ride his hardest for 70 minutes. And you see what happens. He goes one, one. I don't want to say easily. That's, that's not fair. Cause I know he was working really hard, but I'll be damned if it didn't look easy. Everybody that was watching him, were like, why does it, why does this look so effortless for him compared to everyone else? And and I made that comparison to Jet Lawrence, but it, because I feel like they're so similar in what they do well, you know, when, when everybody else is scratching their head, trying to figure out how to go fast through a certain section and how to keep their balance. Those guys are looking around going, what's so hard about that? And that's just, that's just the incredible talent, skill and ability that riders like that have. And they're, they are not common. This is not something you see all the time. And you know, this, this conversation with Daniel Blair about generational talent and all that. I do think it's fair to say that it's not common to see guys that exceed their peers in certain areas. And I think Jet does that. And I think Roxon does that. It just doesn't show up everywhere. And I, and I'll make some comments about what we'll see down the stretch here. There are days though, like yesterday on tracks like yesterday, where a rider like that will make everyone else look silly. And both Kenny and Jet were able to do that. Number one though, your series points leader by 39 points is still Dylan Ferrandis, And I thought it was pretty cool for him to be so transparent on the podium uh, after the first moto and just say, yeah, no one's beating Kenny. Like, it's not going to happen. He's too good, too fast. You know, this this track works for everything that he does well, similar to the points that I've been making. And I, I just think that we could use more honesty. And who cares about your ego? And you think that, did it seem like Dylan Ferrandis cared big picture that this was Kenny's day? No, of course not. You're better off just understanding the situation, realizing that this is the perfect scenario for Kenny and it's one day out of 12. And guess what? Kenny's had some awful days. Washugal was terrible for Kenny. And that's what happens when you have awful days, you give away a ton of points and then you find yourself a bunch of points back from the leader. So I don't think Dylan was really stressing at all. I think he just knew what the situation was. He was going to make the most of his day, rack up a bunch of points And he's going to put a ton of pressure on everybody else all the way down the stretch because they have to be perfect. You literally have to be perfect from here on out to deal with Dylan Ferrandez. And I don't think anybody can because Dylan's going to have his day too. We're going to go to tracks where Dylan's going to be really good. Remember how strong he was at Paula? Yeah, guess what? We're going back there in a couple weeks. So I just think this was a day where if you are willing to understand and willing to tell us about it on the podium, Take it for what it is. Pat Kenny on the back and move on. You know, there will be better days ahead and you couldn't do anything about it anyway. So why are you going to freak out and and try to duck a question about Kenny or what? I, I just really like the way Dylan Ferrandis approached that whole situation. Just be smart, take the points, make the most of what you can do, get on the podium, get second overall, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if your day where you can't touch the winner is a second, <laughs> congratulations. You're going to find yourself as champ. That's just how this works. So that's kind of it for the power rankings and the end for the day. We go to Bud's Creek next week. I will be uh, flying over there and really looking forward to that one. The only downside of Bud's is it's going to be super hot and humid. Hopefully the weather cooperates with us. But other than that, it's a really great event. It's in the shadows of Washington, DC. Always nice to fly into the nation's capital and kind of see the sights there very briefly. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to the races for a day and, uh, yeah, have a little bit more up and personal look at what's going on and get some scoops, talk to uh, talk to the people that are there, find out if there's any silly season information going on. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to be home this weekend, but I'll be looking forward to get back to the races after. That'll be a full month off. So, should be good times. Now, as for what to expect from Bud's Creek, this track rewards aggression. Uh, there's a lot of traction and you can really let it rip. You know, there are off cambers, which is a little counterintuitive to what I said, but I think that the dirt really works for high aggression, high intensity, and really attacking the track. I know it did for me. It was always a a race that I look forward to because I could really, I feel like I could ride the track as hard as possible and it rewarded that. I keep saying rewarded, but I don't know another, uh, synonym to use there. But results typically come the, the more aggressive you are for this track. So look for the usual suspects to have a bounce back ride. I think Tomac will be really good there. I think Ferrandis will be fine. He's been good at every race, so I don't think it'll really matter. Uh, but I, I think a guy like Cooper Webb could have a better day. And, you know, this track is close to where he grew up. You know, he's from North Carolina. Maryland's not too far away. And the dirt is incredibly similar. And that's the most important aspect is that a rider like Webb, who wants to be a throttle jockey on the track, this Buds Creek track likes that. It will work with you, and you'll be smiling if you attack the track like Cooper Webb wants to. So with the starts Webb's been getting, look for him to maybe have a better day. Look for him maybe to be in that podium conversation where he hasn't been able to really all season. So that's my my one and only prediction uh, for next weekend is, is I think that Cooper Webb could have kind of a breakout day. Now I don't think he's gonna win. I think that's asking too much. But I just think him being on or near the podium may be that step forward that he makes. As for your promo codes from our sponsors, you can go to JT twenty use JT21 on worksconnection.com at checkout. That'll save you some money. Proglo has Moto 15 as their, their code. If you reach out to 612 Suspension, if you mention the podcast, they will give you a discount same goes for premier vapor blasting of Georgia. Mention the podcast, you will get a discount. Go to Guts Racing and check out that RJ wide wing seat. I would bet if you talk to them, I know they do a promo code for the Pulpomex shows. I would bet if you contacted them, they would uh, they would help you out. I can't guarantee it. Maybe I'm putting my foot in my mouth, but I have a feeling that uh, yeah, they they are very customer friendly over there as well. Reach out to Plum Creek Funding if you're looking to get a refi. Rates went back down a little bit last week. That's nice. Still have an opportunity there, but this ain't going to last forever. I'm just telling you right now, the Federal Reserve is, there's more and more chatter about tapering their bond purchases. That's the first step. The second step will be to raise interest rates. We still have time. We definitely have time. It's not going to happen even in the next month or two, but you need to be looking at your options. Are you going to buy something? Are you going to refi? Are you going to do anything in the real estate space? You only have a limited amount of time to get the most out of it. I'm going to say six months to a year at the most before you start to lose out on the opportunities that are there. Of course, you'll be able to, you can still buy anything or refi at anytime. I'm just saying for the best opportunity that we've seen in a decade and maybe will for another decade. Uh, is right now. So reach out to Plum Creek Funding, Zach Morris, 720 212 4685 for more information there. Pirelli Tires, you saw all those amateurs just killing it on Pirelli Tires at Loretta's. They introduced that new Mini MX 32 Midsoft, so that was a, a great coup for them, for, especially for the mini bikes. But on the starts, man, those Pirelli Tires are incredibly tough to beat, and they had a really successful week. And you're seeing them continue their winning ways at MXGP2, and then you see a lot of the privateers at Lucas Oil have it's having a ton of success, and that's not it's not an accident. I've used Pirelli tires for a long time, and uh, there's a reason why most privateers go immediately to Pirelli. Last but not least, Blenzol oils. Check out that new Ultra TPI. You see Michael Lessie posting about Blenzol. You see them on the MX Vice podcast. You see them all over. They're sponsoring a ton of podcasts. I believe they are working with Pulp X 2 on one of their podcasts, but Blenzel Oils is just trying to reintroduce themselves to the moto community after a long time off. They were uh, purchased by a gentleman named David Schloss, and he is very passionate about racing. He wants to get back into uh, the public view and the public eye. And a lot of people just kind of forgot about Blenzol, and that's the key here is to, is to try to bring that back. So go to Blenzol.com, go to at Blenzol and find out all of the, the great products that they've had that maybe you never knew about, or maybe you forgot about. It's probably something that your dad used, your granddad used, um, that maybe you just haven't really had an opportunity to try, and, and I would uh, implore you to do so. Grandstone Boots, go to at Grandstone Boot on Instagram and GrandstoneBoots.com. I think you're gonna like what you see there. I know that you, you know you probably don't want to wear Grandstone boots to the track. I get it, but a lot of us, we all have you know a lot of us have office jobs, and you want to go out on the weekends, go to nice dinners. That's a great opportunity to wear a pair of Grandstone boots. Last but not least, Fly Racing. Check out the 2022 line. Flyracing.com. We have our national sales meeting in town this week, uh, so that's going to be a really busy week for me before I head off to Butts Creek. Exciting week though, because we get to see our entire rep force here in town. We have a ton of vendors, you know, all the companies that Western power sports distributes are all here. Uh, but it should be good times. I, I'm looking forward to it. It's a lot of work on our end, a lot of preparation, but we have a really strong message for our reps that they can go out and share with the world. Uh, so I'm excited to, uh, to get that underway tomorrow that starts on Monday. So let's jump into MotoGP for a second before we wrap this thing up. For those of you who don't watch MotoGP, you need to change that it's motorcycle racing all these MotoGP racers, they are huge motocross fans. They cross-train motocross. They watch motocross. They probably grew up racing motocross. So there's a huge crossover aspect here. And I promise you, once you get into it and you give it a fair shot, you learn who the riders are. You learn a little bit about them, their personalities, their backgrounds. I think you're going to love it. And it's no different than MXGP. The discipline's different, but I do understand that it's Riders from places you've never been to, or maybe never heard of, and they have funny names and they have funny culture and all that. I, I got it, right? I understand, and it, it is a learning process. But I, I just I'm telling you, if you take the time and invest the time, you will be rewarded with a ton of entertainment. It's a, it's a brand new sport for you to really get into, and it's, it's very similar to moto in a lot of ways. So, this weekend, they were on uh, a back to back round, the second of two at the Red Bull ring in Austria. And as it would just like it would sound, uh, Red Bull owns this track, Spielberg. And I don't think it's a very popular track. It doesn't seem that way. Uh, I don't think drivers, whether it's F1 or MotoGP, like it. I, you just hear a lot of complaining, and, and I think it's met with some dread. But just like tracks that motocross guys don't like, I don't. Know that everybody loves Unadilla. Either it's a part of the series, and you better show up, and you better do well. Especially if you got a double header, you really better show up and and figure it out. If you're weak there, figure out why, change your skill set, improve, work on things. But anyway, they were on the second round today, and it was just crazy drama. It's uh, what they call a flag to flag race, where they can change bikes in the middle of it. They have a a white flag that comes out that. Uh, signifies that pit lane is open. If you want to change bikes, and the reason they're changing bikes is, MotoGP bikes are raced on slicks. That's the they have no tread pattern on their tires at all, right? So incredibly fast, and there is traction there. But it also the the wear of the tire is much lower uh, than any sort of tread pattern that you would put on it. Uh, but it allows them to go the fastest possible way around uh, a venue. Well when it starts raining and they have these flag to flag races, those slicks don't work at all. I'm talking like zero. You can see them sliding everywhere. It's like flat track out there. The rear is just spinning up as soon as they apply any throttle. So they want to, or have to go in and change bikes to get bikes that have rain terrain tires on them. Well, the question is once they wave that white flag, when do you go? Where is the line of demarcation where I can't ride this bike fast anymore, I'm going to crash, I'm going too slow, I can't use the brakes at all, I can't use the throttle at all, versus, I don't know how long it takes to get in, change bikes, and get out, but I'm going to guess somewhere in the 25 to 30 second range of time lost. So it, it becomes a math equation. Can you continue with any sort of pace, and without crashing, that's going to save you, upwards of 30 seconds over the course of the last four or five laps. And that was the situation today. All the leaders went in except for Brad Bender with four laps to go. Brad Bender stayed out and Valentino Rossi stayed out. These guys were all in like eighth place, ninth place, 10th place, 12th place. They stayed out there and gambled that they could make it to the finish. Unfortunately for them, it started raining really hard all at once and everything changed drastically. So you had all the leaders. You had Marquez, Marquez and Quartararo, and Jorge Martín, and Peco Bagnaya and Zarco. All these guys went in. And Zarco may have already crashed, so I I take that back. But they all pitted together, right? They made a conscious decision that if we all go, then we're all on equal footing. Well, Bender stayed out, and Rossi stayed out, and a couple guys stayed out. Uh, Who else? Uh, Iker Ecolona. A few guys that were kind of middling pack there, they gambled to try to pull a rabbit out of the hat. The last lap, all these guys converged except for Bender. Bender used part bravery, part skill, and part luck to – he made it to the finish. And one more lap, and there's no way. He was going so slow, but he made it. And it was just it was just a math equation. And which side or which side of it do you want to take? Because I think it was 50-50, 60-40, something like that of what's the right decision here – if you're in the championship hunt, if you're Quateraro, you have this huge point lead. Absolutely, you just pull in. You get, you change tires. You know, change bikes, change tires, because you don't want to crash. A crash is not worth it. There's no reason to risk something like that. You just go in. You don't even think about it. But for the other guys who are just trying to get the win, it had to be a brutally tough decision. A guy like Jorge Martín, who's in his seventh ever race, to pull in there you probably don't want to. You probably just want to take a chance. And I would just want to go for the win right here, right now. But again, we don't, we'll never know any of us who have never rid MotoGP, which is all of us. will we won't know how tricky it was and how close to crashing they probably were in every corner. So that's, that was, you know, rider choice. Like, what do you, you make the call, you know, your team can't do it for you. You have to be the one that pulls into the pit area and changes bikes. And it was just, it was high drama, man. It was so entertaining to watch those last few laps and to see what what strategy was going to win out. Was it the smart move to negate the chance or the higher chance of a fall? And you give up all that time, but you're also the pace the last lap was incredibly fast, much faster. I mean, they were closing on these guys like nobody's business. And they actually, Jorge Martin and all these guys moved up and, and stole the podium spots back. Bagnaya and uh jorge martin right at the last second i mean like the last straightaway because rossi and these other guys they couldn't accelerate they were just spinning up coming out of these corners i mean it had to be inc- just so frustrating for them to be going that slow and knowing these guys were about they were about to pounce on them and what it reminded me of if you guys have ever watched like tour de france the end of like a big breakaway if you had these guys that have been out by themselves, off the front for hours, and they've just been expanding, expending so much energy. And then you have the peloton that is just coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're like. <laughs> it reminds me of Base Ventura a little bit, but it's like Cujo. Like they are closing in, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's a race against time, and it's a race against how much distance is left. It's not a matter of if they're going to catch you, as if can you get to the finish line before they do. And for most of them, except for Bender, they weren't able to. And it's same in the Peloton. The Peloton typically catches those breakaways right at the end, and it's just high drama. It was very similar to that. And, uh, yeah, if you were ever wanting to race to really drag you into MotoGP and to develop any sort of enthusiasm and passion for it, that's a good one because it had a lot of different guys at the front, so you're going to kind of see all the names you're going to see a flag-to-flag race, which never really happens. It's super rare. Uh, you're going to see crashes. You're going to see lead changes. Um, and you're going to see some of the most dramatic uh, last few laps that you'll ever see. So I loved it. I thought it was in- just an insane day. Um, you know, Fabio, to me, he has this title wrapped up. You know, he, he ekes out a seventh after a really strong beginning to the race. And I think for him, it's just staying out of trouble. You know, second place, Johan Zarco in the, in the championship crashes out, makes life even more easy for him. And I just think he's doing all the right things. He's making all the right decisions, taking risk when he should avoiding risk when he shouldn't. Uh, but just an incredible season so far for Fabio. Uh, we talked about Bender a little bit, Jorge Martin. I mean, the guy is incredible. I mean, seventh race, pretty strong, I, he races well in the rain. He races well in the dry. Um, he is not scared. So I think we're going to see some big crashes down the road from him because you can't take risk all the time without paying a price for it. But I'll be damned if he isn't entertaining. And then my last note was just Mark Marquez. And God, so many missed opportunities this year. He has crashed out of so many potential wins, which is not like him. He just, he, he would crash in the past. Don't get me wrong. But he had so many saves before that he would get away with it. And he's just not getting away with it anymore. And I don't know if it's rusty. I don't know if it's the bike. I don't know if it's what it is. You know, it could be a a myriad of things or a combination of all of them, but he has given away a lot of potentially good results. You know, the championship's out of touch. It's over for him. So who cares on that front? But I'm a Marquez fan in full transparency. And uh, yeah, I, I yelled at the TV when he crashed yet again this weekend. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I uh, I enjoyed this podcast. Um, you know, Unadilla wasn't the most exciting race I've ever watched, but MotoGP, damn sure it was. So got my fill of, of drama for the weekend. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to Bud's Creek next week. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. See ya.